looking at uh, finding love in our differences. And Christmas typically is known as a season of love and cheerfulness and giving. But sometimes that's not always the case. A few years ago, ABC News uh, did a story, uh, and the the title of it is How One Man is Terrorizing Neighbors with a Hostile Holiday Decoration Display. And I'll not read uh, the the whole article to you, but I'll read the first few paragraphs. It says, Homeowners on a Fairley Road uh, in on Fairley's Road in Ross Township, Pennsylvania, say their neighbor Bill Ansel is terrorizing them with a year-round uh, year-round with his hostile hostile anti-Christmas display. Here's a quote from a resident: Any opportunity he has to make our life a hardship, he does. He's an angry person that's very unstable, says another person. Uh, Ansel, electrician, has a display in his yard that features a beheaded choir. A hanging Mickey Mouse and even uh, even a urinating Santa Claus that lights up at night. Neighbors Chris and uh, Joanne say that they have had to stare at the unpleasant decorations for the past six years. Fairley Road is a unique cul-de-sac uh, design, a circular street with Ansel's house right in the middle, surrounded by six other homes. That makes it hard to avoid his handiwork. Uh, there were, here's a quote from a neighbor: "There was a Virgin Mary here, and he placed a knife through her head right there on the edge of our driveway." I thought it was a terroristic threat. To make matters worse, his neighbors said Ansel also tacked up profane signs all over his house, attacking the township and his neighbors personally. The worst sign, the neighbors said, included disparaging remarks about a neighbor Tom White's late wife posted the day after she died. Why would someone even do that? Uh, he asked, or he told 2020. One sign on Ansel's home may offer a clue as to why. It says this display is dedicated to Ross Township. Shame on you for destroying my display that brought so much joy and happiness to so many people. And so the rest of the article goes through and basically there was a, he had this big, huge Christmas display for years and one of the neighbors kind of complained that it was a little bit too bright and the township asked him to take it down. And so they took him to court over it and it made him mad. And so now he has this display up all year round. Uh, with the beheaded choir and the hanging Mickey Mouse and the Virgin Mary through its through a knife through its head, and when I read that, I think, boy, that guy doesn't understand love about Christmas, does he? Uh, he has taken a holiday that is supposed to be focused on love, and made it into something that's really just focused on hate. And so this morning we are talking about finding love, uh, even among all of our differences and. Uh, this morning, we don't have really a base text. We really just, uh, I'm going to be looking at the different characters. Uh, the last three weeks, we've been looking at different characters through the story of, of Christmas. And so if you think back, think about all of the different types of people that were included in the Christmas story. And so you go to the very beginning, Zechariah, uh, Elizabeth, and Mary and Joseph. So Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Uh, they were past childbearing years, at least that's what they thought. And Mary and Joseph were very young. In fact, Mary, by what we can tell, was probably a teenager at this point. And yet we see that the old and the young are brought together. Uh, We see that when uh, both Mary and Elizabeth are pregnant, Mary shows up at Elizabeth's door and they they celebrate together and they celebrate the love of Christ together. Then we see uh, a couple weeks ago we looked at the shepherds. So you see the shepherds that are kind of the lowliest of the low people here on earth, and they are met with heavenly angels, heavenly perfect beings that are brought here 
down to earth and, and we can just imagine the, uh, the sights and the sounds of that night when the angels came down and they fellowshiped together uh, with uh, the, the uh, shepherds. And so here you see not just the old and the young, but here you see kind of the, the highest of, of, of heaven is coming down and you see the lowliest uh, of the earth, uh, the, the, the humans here on earth are being included in it. And then we, in the book of Matthew, we see the story of the wise men, the magi. We don't really know who they were. The Bible doesn't really say it. All it says is that they came from the east. So if you look on your map, a lot of people think that they probably came from India or China, somewhere around there, somewhere in Asia, because it took them a few years to get there. And that's one of the things that, uh, again, one of those little Bible trivia things that people like to point out. Uh, we always show the, the, the magi there at the the manger, and they, but that's not where they met up with him. They met up with him later uh, when he was a toddler. Uh, so it took them a few years to get there. And uh, so here you see these foreigners coming in uh, to celebrate the birth of Christ. But not only that, not only were they foreign, but they, they were Gentiles. Here, this was the, the king of the Jews that was being born. And yet these magi, uh, again, we we don't know how many there were. We we traditionally say three because of the three gifts that were given, but we we don't know how many showed up. We don't know where they were from. We don't really know a whole lot about them other than they studied the stars and and they knew somehow God had had miraculously uh, revealed to them that something was going on. And I do think it's interesting when uh, they come to Herod and they say a new king has been born. We want to see him. And so Herod goes to the priests. And the scribes, and he says, where, you know, if you guys were to have a king uh, born, where would that king be born? And the Bible says that they immediately answered him. They didn't have to go back and study it and, and get back to him. They immediately told him he'll be born in Bethlehem. And it's amazing to me that the people who knew weren't looking for him. And the people who did know or didn't know where to look, they were the ones that were looking. And so here you see uh, people from all, all, all nations coming. All walks of life, the young and the old, are brought together by the love of Christ. And this morning, our, I think our goal is to not be like the, the guy I read in the article that yeah, just uh, is terrorizing everybody in the neighborhood. But yet our goal is to be someone who uh, shares Christ's love with everybody, no matter what their walk of life is. No matter what their economic status is, no matter what, uh, whether they're young or old, uh, we should be sharing Christ's love with everybody. And there are three truths about Christ's love in the Christmas story I think we can pull out here. And first of all, Christ is love embodied. And so uh, if you uh, notice all the way from the creation, you know, creation, when God created Adam and Eve, uh, he intended for Adam and Eve and their children and their children's children, he intended for them to have a completely unique, uh, completely untainted relationship with him. And yet, because of sin, that relationship was immediately destroyed. And so it was through, Christ, through God's love, you know, God's holiness demanded that something be done about this sin. It was God's holiness that, that broke our, 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 our relationship with him. It was the fact that he was holy and we are not holy is what broke that relationship. 
And yet, all throughout the Old Testament, it is God's love on display when he gives humans ways to come to him. He gives them the sacrifices, and he gives them the priests, and he gives them the high priest. And, and this is the way that God gives his love to the people in the Old Testament. But ultimately, he gave his love to us through his son to be the ultimate sacrifice. And so uh, God's two main characteristics are his holiness and his love. And about a month or so ago, I, I preached a sermon about, uh, about, holy, or about grace, but also holiness. And so, yes, God is love. He is also holy at the same time. And through Christ, God's love and his holiness is expressed 100% perfectly. And so if you look in First, first John chapter 4, verse 7 through 16, we read a little bit about this love. It says, Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who has uh, love has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God sent his, son, his only Son into the world that we may uh, live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved uh, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we remain in him and he in us because he has given to us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed that the love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Just a few verses there, uh, but any time you're studying the Bible, and really any um, piece of literature, but when we're talking about Bible study, one of the first principles you learn about Bible study is when you're studying a passage, look for repeated words. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a word that's been repeated a lot in that passage. If I counted correctly, uh, John uses the word love 16 times, either love or loved, 16 times in just about a paragraph. Now, if we include the word beloved, he uses that twice. So now we're up to 18 times that John uses the word love in relationship in relation to Christ coming to this earth and God's love in us and Christ's love through us. Now, if John uses a word 16 times, I think he's trying to tell us something. I think there is something uh, that uh, that he doesn't want us to miss. And what he doesn't want us to miss is that God's love is perfected. God's love is shown perfectly through the embodiment of Christ here on earth. Christ coming and dying for our sins and raising the third day. That is God's love embodied. In fact, he tells us twice that God is love. Love is what God's nature is. I said before, the two main characteristics of God is his holiness and his love. And if we only focus on God's holiness, but we don't focus on God's love, we are missing a big part of who God is. We are not fully understanding who God is. And one thing I love about God's love is we can count on his love. We don't have to worry about 
if I wake up tomorrow, does God still love me? If I commit a sin and, and uh, I commit a sin this week and, and I say something I shouldn't have said and I listen to something I shouldn't listen to, it, does God still love me? The answer is yes, because God is love. And John says we know that we can remain in him and he remains in us by the love that we have for one another. In fact, he makes a statement. He says no one has seen God. But then he kind of makes some, you know, some clarifying statements. And basically what he says afterwards is, yes, no one has seen God, but we can show God to other people by showing his love, because that's what we've experienced from God. And so that's how we know that we are part of God's children if we love people like he loved people. And so that leads us into our second truth is that love defines and propels us. Love defines and propels us as Christians. Love ought to be one of the defining characteristics of our lives. And in fact, in John chapter 13, we read it earlier in the service, but John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, uh, Jesus is giving some final teachings to his disciples before he, is being arrest, before he was about to be arrested and crucified. He says, I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Again, going back to our Bible study principle, in two sentences there, God, Christ uses the term love four times in two verses and two sentences. And so he wants everybody to know that we are Christians through our love. I remember uh, it's been 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and it was back when uh, Christian T-shirts were all the rage. You know, every Christian had a good Christian T-shirt that was clever, and they'd wear it all the time. And I saw, I think it was a bumper sticker, and it says, uh, they will know that you're my disciples by the T-shirt you wear. Uh, and so a lot of us, we think that, well, if I put the right bumper stickers on my car, they'll know that I'm Christian. If I listen to the right radio stations, they'll know that I'm a Christian. If I uh, associate with the right political people, they'll know that I'm a Christian. They know what I stand for. If I put the right uh, political sign out in my yard, they'll know that I'm a Christian. But that is not what Christ says. Christ says that people will know that we are his by the love that we express for other people. Christians ought to be the most loving people on earth. Now, I do want to stop and say, because we're going to talk about this here in our third point in a few minutes. We definitely need to stand for the truth. We need to say right is right, wrong is wrong. We need to be able to draw a line in the sand and say no further, this is, this is it. But we can do that in love. We can do that and still show Christ's love in our lives. Love should be what defines us. It should be what characterizes us, and especially through Christmas time. Christmas ought to be a time where we are showing everybody, hey, this is the greatest time of the year, not because of the presents, not because of the decorations. It's the greatest time of the year because this is when we celebrate when God finally showed his full and complete love for humanity and sent his son to die for our sins. And we ought to be sharing that love with everybody. And sometimes that's hard to do. But our third truth about love is that love empowers us to cross the borders. I don't think I need to uh, tell you that we are living in some divided times. 
Uh, pretty much every news article I read, that is what it's about. In fact, I was reading something just on Friday. I was reading an article. I, I was skimming through uh, uh, headlines. And it was talking about something, and it says, this uh, particular I- issue is a red state problem. And then I've seen other uh, articles that say, this particular issue, that's a blue state problem. And I, I remember in the 2000 election, I think that was when the red and blue states started uh, when they were uh, talking about, you know, George Bush and Al Gore, and they were using red and blue for red for George Bush and blue for Al Gore. And that, that's where that kind of came from. And ever since then, we have been characterized by, well, do you live in a red state or a blue state? Do you support this particular candidate or do you support that candidate? And uh, it's gotten to where we can't even talk to other people that believe differently than we do as far as politics goes. A few years ago, I saw an app that came out. You could download this app, and it would go through your friends uh, list on Facebook. And it would see which friends of yours liked the page of a certain politician. And And then it would spit out a report saying, these are the friends that you have that liked this particular politician. And the idea of it was you could take that list and you could unfriend every single one of them because I don't want to be associated with that particular uh, that particular party. I don't want to be associated with that particular person. And it doesn't matter who the politician was and it doesn't matter who the, the political party was. But for our lives, listen, yes, we can still stand and say, I believe that this is right and this is wrong and these are the people I vote for and this, these are the reasons why. But listen, if we get to a point where we can't even stand to be in the same room with political opponents. We can't even be stand to be in the same room with people that, that don't believe in God, that are completely atheists, that, that are completely evil. If, if, we, if we can't even stand to, to be there, how in the world can we show God's love to them? How in the world can we cross over in, into, other, uh, into other parts of our world and show God's love for them? In Matthew chapter 5, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 43 and 44, he says, You have heard it said, shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's that's a tough saying. That is a tough teaching to live by, especially in today's climate. In today's culture, you mean I should love those and pray for those who are protesting, asking uh, for churches to have their tax exempt status taken out? Yep, that's what the Bible says. You mean I should love and pray for people who are are fighting to get uh, transgender teaching into our schools and and uh, trying to uh, have uh, uh, drag story time in libraries for little kids? You mean I should love and pray for those people? Yep, that's what Jesus said. You mean I should love and pray for politicians who are trying to pass laws to get abortion on demand uh, and, and give abortion to teenagers without their parental consent? You mean I should love and pray for those people? Yep. Now, that doesn't mean that we, shouldn't, we should just stand by and say, no, that, that's okay. You guys do whatever you want. No, we can still stand for what's right, but we are still commanded to love and to pray for those people. And in our world... I mean, there is, I don't need to tell you, I mean, there is just pure evil out in our world on full display, being embraced by every part of our culture. 
And I want to tell you, we need to stand against those people. But it is also 100% true that every one of those people need to hear the gospel of Christ. They need to hear that there is a Savior that can save them from the sin that they're in and save them from the evil that they are purporting and the evil that they are supporting and the evil that they are out there trying to get everybody to embrace. They need to understand that they are sinners and that Christ died for them and he can save them just like he saved us. There's a story that Jesus told. Uh, One time uh, the Pharisees were asking him, uh, someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, uh, the greatest commandment is love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said, the second commandment is likened to it, is love your neighbor as yourself. So the Pharisees say, well, who exactly is my neighbor? And so he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a very familiar story, but if you're not familiar with it, uh, uh, basically this guy was traveling, and uh, all of a sudden some robbers come up on him. And they steal his money and they they beat him up. And uh, the Bible says he was half dead. He was laying on the side of the road half dead. And so the Bible says that, uh, or Jesus tells the Pharisees that a Levite walked by. Someone who worked in the temple. Someone who, that was their life, was was church work. They walked by and they saw him and and just walked on right on by. And then a, a priest walked by him. And he saw him and he went to the other side of the road and and walked on. But then a Samaritan walked by. Now that was shocking to the Pharisees because the Samaritans in the Old Testament, God had commanded uh, the nation of Israel not to intermarry with other uh, nations. And the reason was not anything racial. It was because he said, as soon as you do that, you'll start worshiping their gods. It wasn't a racial thing. It was a religious thing. He said, don't marry outside your religion because you're going to start worshiping their gods. In the Old Testament, they started intermarrying, and that's exactly what happened, was they started worshiping other gods, and they fell into idolatry. And the Samaritans were part of that group, and so they weren't, full, they weren't full-blooded Jewish people. They were kind of half-Jewish, half-Gentile, and so the Jewish people, the Pharisees especially, looked down on the Samaritans because they had completely disobeyed God, and so they were looked down upon. And so Jesus says a Samaritan walks by. And a Samaritan sees him, he binds up his wounds, he stops the bleeding, he puts him up on his, on his donkey and he rides him into the next town and he drops him off at an, at an inn and he gives some money to the innkeeper and he says, here, take care of him, give him the food, give him the medicine that he needs. He says, I'll be back in a few days. If, if the money I give you now it doesn't cover it, I'll, I'll cover the rest of the bill. Don't you worry about it, I'll take care of it. And so Jesus ends that story and he goes back to the Pharisees. He looks at him. He says, so in that story, who, who was that guy's neighbor? And the Pharisees couldn't even bring themselves to say it was a Samaritan. They, all they said was it was the one who showed compassion on him. And so Jesus was trying to explain to them that, yes, the Samaritans, they may have done some terrible things. They may have completely disobeyed God. Uh, you see this talked about also at the woman at the well. They, uh, she wants to talk to him about, well, we worship here uh, in where we're at, and you guys worship in, in Jerusalem. And the fact of the matter is the Jews were worshiping where God told them to worship. Uh, the Samaritans were incorrect in what they were doing. And so the fact of the matter is the Samaritans, yes, they did have things that they uh, needed to get right with God about. But Christ was saying that he loves even the Samaritans. 
He loves even those who are, are warring against him. He loves those who are uh, not living the way that Christ wants them to live. He still loves them, and he wants them to understand his love, and he wants to give them forgiveness and allow them to turn away from their sin. And so this morning, as we look at our Christmas season, I think our question has to be, are we showing God's love to everybody in our world? And I want to bring it even a little bit more personal. Maybe in your life there's someone (coughs) in your family that you've had a falling out with. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor. That things just aren't exactly the way they used to be and, and you know that you need to make things right. What a better time in our life, in Christmas season, to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put away my pride and my ego, and I'm going to make things right with this person. I'm going to show God's love to them. And this morning, even in the middle of all of our divide and, and all of the, the evilness that we're uh, trying to combat in our world, we are commanded to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And I think that ought to be a a great challenge for us as we go uh, into this week and we prepare uh, for Christmas next week, that we remind ourselves of God's love for us and that we ought to uh, reflect that love, like John said in 1 John, that people will know that we are Christians through the love. We can know that we are God's because of the love uh, that we have for other people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, and we thank you for your love. Just as John said, we, <clears throat> we didn't love you. Uh, you loved us first. And we ask that we would share your love for those around us, that we would be a reflection of your love, your perfect love, that, yes, we would stand for what's right and we would stand against what's wrong, but we would do it in love, that we would love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand together, we'll sing a song of invitation. If you would like to come and pray, you are more than welcome to do so. We will.